So we're picking up in, um, in Genesis, where Ken left off last week, looking at the life of Joseph, Joseph which I'm excited for. And uh, I just want to add my um, appreciation and um, excitement for the run for H2O. It was a fantastic uh, time. Uh, this is a couple pictures I got. This is my running family. Um, I was able to do the 10K, and my wife, Jolene, did the 5K, pushing the stroller with little Libby in there. And, uh, and we had a fantastic morning. It was a great, great event, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I've, I started running last year. I didn't run a lot before that, and uh, really enjoying it. And this was my first organized run. And something I really appreciated about this organized run that I haven't ever experienced before is that when you're running along, there's people telling you where to go. And when you get to crosswalks and, and traffic lights, there's police officers telling the traffic to stop. Now, if you're a runner and you run around the community, you probably share in my frustration when you're running along and there's, there's these red lights and there's, you know, do not cross and you're standing there waiting to go. Or maybe you appreciate the break, I'm not sure. Um, but I really enjoyed that about the race. I enjoyed that there were people there uh, helping me get to where I want to go. I appreciated that there were people there making sure that I didn't get lost. And in thinking about this run and having a discussion with some friends, uh, we were talking about marathons. And uh, one of the guys asked the question of, of well, what, what is the longest marathon record? What's the longest marathon record? And uh, you have to go back to 1912 to see where the longest marathon began. And it's a Japanese runner. In 1912, I was sent over uh, to Stockholm. And this runner was excited about running marathons. He ran marathons in Japan. He was quite good at it. Uh, So they sent him to the Olympics. And this journey for him was full of things he did not expect. Uh, the, the, The travel was very long. And in the weeks that it took to get to Stockholm from Japan, he wasn't able to continue his training regimen. He was only able to kind of jog at train platforms and different things like that. So he was getting out of shape. Uh, further, when he got there, uh, he didn't realize that Stockholm, the sun would set at different times than it did in Japan. And so he had trouble sleeping because it was so bright. Even more than that, he didn't expect on race day for it to be 30 degrees Celsius, which is a temperature he wasn't used to running in. And uh, this runner gets going. And as one mile turns into the next, he finds himself fatigued beyond what he could handle. And he seeks shelter in a home. He wakes up the next day and uh, is embarrassed about what's happened. And uh, runs back home to Japan, basically. He doesn't tell the Olympics what happened. He doesn't report to anyone. Um, so people looked into this and they, they reached out to this guy and invited him back to Stockholm some 54 years later to complete his marathon. And sure enough, he returns to Stockholm, completes the marathon for a marathon time of 54 years, 8 months, 6 days, 5 hours, 32 minutes, and 20.3 seconds. (laughs) I'm thankful that it didn't take me that long to run 10 kilometers yesterday. This runner's path ended up being full of unexpected twists and turns. And you know, having your expectations not met in a race is one thing. But have you ever found yourself with unmet expectations in life? 
You know, you're moving along in life and you suddenly realize that things are not going the way that you thought they would. Maybe you find yourself in a career situation that you never really thought of being in and maybe you don't really want to be in. Maybe you're finding yourself in the midst of relationships, really struggling to connect with people who, who mean a lot to you. And you're wondering how these relationships have gotten so damaged, so fractured. Maybe it's financial burdens in life where you, you hope to be able to afford to, to, do, to do fun things, to provide for your family, to, to give them nice things in life. But month after month, the bills keep going and you're looking at your financial situation and saying, I never thought it would be like this. What do we do in the midst of these situations? How do we handle disappointment? How do we navigate incredibly difficult circumstances? Well, we're excited this summer to be looking at the life of Joseph. And this chapter that we're looking at today is about Joseph's unexpected journey. I doubt that when Joseph went to see his brothers that he thought to himself, I'll never return home. Last week we heard about Joseph's dreams. We heard about his place in his family, that he was his father's favorite. And I'm sure Joseph had plans. I'm sure he looked at the situation he was in in life and was excited for the future. I'm sure that Joseph was excited to see how God was going to bring about the fulfillment of his dreams. But then, his brothers betray him. You know, and I wonder what Joseph felt in the midst of this betrayal. I wonder what Joseph felt at this unexpected journey as this started off. Shechem to Egypt is roughly 425 kilometers. And I don't know if they put Joseph on the back of a camel or if he was drug along through the sand. But Joseph had 425 kilometers to think about this unexpected journey. To wonder if his father will come looking for him. To wonder about the situation he'll find himself in when he arrives to where he's going. I'm sure that Joseph felt lost. I'm sure that he felt that he wasn't where he should be. And I wonder in those moments if Joseph wanted to give up on his dreams. I wonder in those moments if Joseph wanted to give up on God. And I'm sure this is a way that some of you have felt in your own lives. I know that this is a place I have found myself in. Wondering, God, where are you? What's going on here? Wondering if I even believe anymore. And while I can't relate to being sold to Ishmaelite traders by my older brother, I can't imagine him ever doing that to me, I can relate to having hopes and dreams. I can relate to having desires for how I hope things will go and then finding myself miles off course, wondering where God is in the midst of it all. So what do we do in the midst of these circumstances? What do we do when we find ourselves on the unexpected journeys in life? Well, looking at this section of Joseph's story, I believe that we can have hope 
during the unexpected chapters of our lives because we have a God who knows the end of our story. We can have hope during the unexpected chapters of our lives because we have a God who knows the end of our stories. And I struggle to to preach on hope because in Christian circles when we say hope, it, it feels so cliché. It feels so, oh yeah, have hope. Have, what, what's that about? But there's something in the Word of God that tells us that hope is more than just a cliché. It's more than just a happy thought. And this reality is so important as we look at Joseph's story. And I want to just say quickly that when I say story, when I'm talking about the Bible, in no way am I referring to fiction. In no way am I referring to um, something that's come out of someone's imagination. Rather, I firmly believe that the events that we're talking about this morning took place. That they're historic. And I use the word story sort of as a metaphor, metaphor, but we'll unpack this a bit as we go. So we need to place the Joseph story in the greater context of the book of Genesis. And for those of you who know me and have maybe been in some of my uh, weekly Bible study classes, um, I'm really passionate about the story of the Bible. And so I'm going to nerd out on us all this morning. So hopefully uh, you enjoy this. Hopefully you get something out of it. And I want to look a bit at the context in which we find the Joseph story. Because the book of Genesis is full of unexpected journeys. The book of Genesis is full of unexpected journeys. And right at the beginning of Genesis, uh, when, we, when we start looking at what's taking place, as a reader of Genesis, we're full of excitement. We should be full of excitement. Something that I often teach people who are learning to read the Bible is that it's, it's so important for us to try to read it as if we're reading it for the first time. Because what happens over years, and if you're around the church and you hear different stories of the Bible, it's very difficult to read things as if it's fresh. But if we discipline ourselves to do that, we start to see different things that the author of the Bible is doing. We start hearing different things that God is trying to teach us. Specifically in Genesis, and especially when we get to Joseph, what we see in the book of Genesis is this series of unexpected events. The first is is the fall. So God creates the heavens and the earth, and we have this beautiful utopia that God creates. He takes humanity, he places them in this garden, and we see God and humanity in perfect relationship. Beyond that, we see humans in perfect relationship with one another. And as a reader, we're like, man, this is really good stuff. I love this. I wish I could be there. I wish we, I could go there. But what happens? Genesis chapter 3. Something we do not expect to take place, takes place. And all of the goodness, all of the perfect relationships come crashing down as sin and death enter utopia. But we're filled with hope as we keep reading the story because God re-enters the scene and He promises that He's going to redeem. He promises that He's going to get rid of what brought in sin and death. He promises that He's going to make things right again. And so this is the context in which we begin reading Genesis. So what might we expect after reading about God's promise for redemption? Well, I think as we keep reading, what we expect isn't what happens. Because things keep getting worse. And we read about the sorrow of sin and death. One brother murders another brother. Humanity keeps making bad choices, falling further and further 
out of step with God, and suddenly God sends the flood to wipe them out. And as a reader, you're like, God, how are you going to redeem? We get to Genesis chapter 12, a new character is introduced to us, Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, we read God's promise to Abram. His promise to Abram that he's going to bless the nations. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred to your father's house, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So again, as a reader, there's a sense of anticipation and excitement. God's going to do something through this guy Abram. And we keep reading. And it's different from what we expect. Because this family, this Abraham's family, seems to be incredibly dysfunctional. Abraham's family keeps making mistakes. And as a reader, you might sit and say, well, how on earth is this going to work? So now we get to Joseph. And the character of of Joseph... We, again, are sparked with a sense of, okay, God's going to do something. Because God gives Joseph these dreams. And as we read about these dreams, we might wonder, is Joseph the one? But then we get here to Genesis chapter 37. And as a reader, we're taken yet again on an unexpected journey. Joseph is sent by his father to Shechem. It's a four to five day journey. His brothers see him from a distance. Bitterness and rage have filled their hearts. They plot murder against him. His brother speaks up, suggests a new plan that they throw Joseph in a pit. While sitting down for a meal, this group of traders is seen from the distance and Joseph is sold to them for 20 pieces of silver. 20 pieces of silver would have been two years wage for um, a bottom of the rung shepherd. Joseph's circumstances are concealed from his father. And as I said before, I highly doubt that when Joseph left his father, he knew that he was never going home again. So yet again, as a reader of Genesis, we get to this point and say, God, what are you doing? Things are not going the way that I think that they should go. But if we zoom out even more, we see that the Bible itself is full of unexpected journeys. Of things that we expect to happen not taking place. We think of the story of Job. A man who is in a great relationship with God and all of this decay comes into his life. And you're like, what's going on? We read about a young shepherd named David who's promised to be king. And as his story unfolds, we watch him running away from King Saul, filled with bitterness and jealousy and rage, trying to kill David. And we're, as a reader, we're, God, what's going on here? We keep reading in the Old Testament to see that the nation of Israel, this nation that was supposed to be God's people, a nation that promised to God that they would live for him, reject God over and over and over again. We read about this nation being exiled, then brought back into Israel, but now under Roman rule. Things are not as they are supposed to be. Later on in the New Testament, we read about an early church that's suffering persecution. 
And perhaps the most important one is the unexpected journey of the Savior of Israel coming to the nation and the people calling out, crucify Him. And we see this Savior hanging on a cross. But friends, all of these unexpected journeys are only a part of the larger story. Unexpected journeys are only a part of the larger story. We think about Job and we see the resolution for him. We know that David becomes the king of Israel and sets a standard for what a godly king should look like for the nation. We see the nation of Israel, as much as they're rejecting God, we read about God's grace and His mercy pursuing them over and over again. We read about Jesus coming to Israel who, who demonstrates the way that they should live, who pursues them with love, who teaches them the ways that they are to walk with God. And as we read about Him hung on the cross, we also read about Him conquering sin and death and rising again. The unexpected parts of each one of these stories was only a sliver, only a piece of the puzzle. So even in the Joseph story, we see these interesting pieces at work. We see the hand of God at work in Joseph's life. And as Joseph is pulled along to Egypt, these 425 kilometers, in knowing the whole story, we know that this is not the end of Joseph. And it starts even before Joseph's life. Back in Genesis chapter 15, we see that God had a bigger purpose for Joseph than what he could ever comprehend. And in Genesis chapter 15, we have God talking to Abraham. And we read this, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So God said this to Abram, who's Joseph's grandfather, years before Joseph ever entered the scene. But again, as a careful reader of the book of Genesis, when we read the word Egypt in chapter 37, it should set off a warning bell for us in verse 28. They took Joseph to Egypt? Wait a minute. God said something to Abram about a land that, that wasn't theirs. And it sets a trigger for us. God is at work. Other interesting things in this story, we read in, in verse 15 of, of chapter 37 that Joseph can't find his brothers. And this never occurred to me before, but... If you show up somewhere and you can't find who you're looking for, what do you usually do? You just go home. But that's not what happened with Joseph. We read about Joseph running into a person who happened to know where his brothers were. One might wonder if this is the hand of God navigating Joseph into this situation. We read in verse 21 of a brother who defends his life. Joseph's life is spared. As we keep reading in verse 37, we read about a caravan of Ishmaelites that happened to be passing by at a particular time. So we start seeing all these really interesting pieces of Joseph's life. 
And as we will see in the weeks to come, the story of Joseph does not in any way end in chapter 37. And it's fascinating to me, in verse 14 of, of chapter 37 of our text today, we have, a, we have um, Jacob saying to Joseph, to go, to see, go now and see the welfare of your brothers and the flock and bring me word. And in the context of the bigger story, we see that Jacob didn't realize the scale to which Joseph would be caring for the welfare of his brothers. But we will come to understand Joseph's unexpected journey in the context of the whole. And just to give us a snapshot of how this story ends, in Genesis chapter 50, we read about the conclusion of chapter 37, this, this problem between him and his brothers, uh, where Joseph is, is, his brothers are scared that Joseph is going to kill them because of the, what they plotted against him and had him sent to Egypt. So his brothers come to Joseph and they say, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Please forgive the transgression of the servants of God to your fathers. But then Joseph wept. And when they had spoke to him, when they spoke to him, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, for I will provide for you and your little ones. And when we get to Genesis chapter 50, it's like it all makes sense. The story comes together. Do you see how God is at work in the background of this story? Do you see how in the context of the whole, Joseph's unexpected journey can be seen so differently? A loving God who had a plan for humanity took the evil that took place in this chapter and worked it for good. A loving God who saw these brothers conspiring to murder their brother took these circumstances and turned it into good. So what about our own unexpected journeys? What about our own unexpected journey? Perhaps we better understand our own unexpected journeys by looking to the author of our stories, to the creator of our stories. Our lives are like a story, aren't they? And the journey that we find ourselves in lives provides the content for the story of our lives. A high school graduate was um, filling out applications for college. And one of the questions that he came across for an essay that he had to fill out as part of an application, um, read this. It said, imagine it's your 70th year and you've just completed your 457th page autobiography. Please submit page 221. So he's reading this essay question and it says, imagine you're 70, you just wrote your life story, it's 457 pages, please write for us page 221. Well, the difficulty of this question gripped the young man. But the creativity of this question marked his memory. He sat there thinking, my life is a story. My life is a story. Your life is a story. It has a beginning. It has an end. 
There's characters in your life, plot twists, ironic happenings, all that come together to make the story of your life. Who you are today sitting here at Terwilliger Community Church is a result of what's come from the narrative of your life before. Your cultural upbringing, the family that you were raised in, the choices that you've made, the places that you've lived, people you have met, all of these things contribute to the story of your life. Each of us, then, has a unique story. You could say that each of us, in fact, is a unique story. It's a story that God began to write when He created us. And again, we recently talked about this on Mother's Day when we looked at Psalm chapter 139. That God began our lives. He began writing our story when we were conceived. And that's the beginning. And I believe that this story is one that God is continuing to write. That He's continuing to write your story. And because of this, we can have hope in the midst of unexpected journeys because we know that God has given us the end of the story. We can have hope in the midst of our unexpected journeys because God has given us the end of the story. You know, our unexpected journeys are like a piece of a puzzle. And imagine that you were assembling a puzzle. You, you couldn't see what the whole thing was supposed to look like. But someone just kept handing you a piece. And the only thing you knew about that piece is that it would fit in the context of what you've already been given. And they just keep handing you pieces. And you don't know what this puzzle is going to look like. But as time passes and as you keep assembling the, the puzzle, a picture lies out before you. When unexpected turns come our way, we need to recognize that we are only holding a piece of the puzzle. When Joseph was being drugged along to Egypt, he was only holding a piece of the puzzle of his life. And it wasn't for years to come that 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 puzzle piece would make sense in light of the whole. We can have hope that God can work good in the midst of our stories. We can have hope that God will move and respond to our prayers in the midst of our difficult situations. You know, I know that many of you this morning are sitting here in the midst of an unexpected journey in life. But friends, I want to assure you that when you pray and cry out to God, He hears your prayers. And we can have hope that God's going to respond to those prayers. We have a God who sees us. A God who loves us. Now God may answer our prayers differently than we would like. But I assure you, He will answer. And sometimes in the midst of difficult situations, we cry out to God. We say, God, we just need these things. Will you give me these things? Friends, God may not give, give, give. And dish things out to us. But he will always give us himself. God might not bring healing when you're desiring healing. But he will give you himself. God might not write some big check that answers all your financial problems. But he will give you himself. God might not come in and just fix all the relational drama that you're experiencing in the context of your family. But God will give you himself. 
And when God comes, He brings that peace that surpasses understanding. He gives us a joy that doesn't make sense in light of our context. He brings stillness to our enraged hearts. So we can hope that God can work good. But we can also hope that God will work good. We can have hope in the knowledge that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus will come and that He will make a new heaven and a new earth. That the longings of our hearts will be satisfied and that the pain in our lives will be soothed. You know, we don't talk about our hope enough. And part of that, I think, is we live in such an affluent society. But there's this reality that Jesus is coming back. That we have a privilege of spending eternity with Him if if we are found to be in Him. And that is a hope that puts our lives, the puzzle of our life, gives it amazing, amazing context. You know, it's like watching a sports game on on TV that you've PVR'd. And so you're getting to the sports game maybe a day or two after the game was played. And a friend of yours told you who won the game. And so you're watching the game and you're watching your team losing and you're like, that's all right. I know they're going to win. They told me that they're going to win. And one period turns into the next and your team looks like they're going to lose. But you already know the ending. And so you watch with expectation and hope as your team makes that comeback and wins the game. Friends, that's the reality of our lives. That's our Christian hope. God's given us the ending in His Word. In Romans chapter 8, those words that we sang this morning, that God works all all things together for the good of those who love Him. The good of those who've been called by His name. We read also in in Romans chapter 8 that that those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image and likeness of his son. That God's doing a work in our lives to make us more like Jesus. That's the ending of the story. We know that's going to happen. We have hope. We can trust that that is going to happen. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we read about this new heaven and new earth. A place where the tears are wiped away from every eye. Where there is no more darkness. Friends, these things are our hope. They're a guarantee. The ending is set. And so in the same way that Joseph's story, chapter 37, might feel confusing to us as readers. We can look at his story in the whole and say, something's going to happen. God's going to do something amazing in the midst of this terrible situation. And in the weeks that unfold, we'll, we'll, we'll begin to look at that. So just in conclusion here, I know, again, some of you are here this morning on an unexpected journey. I've been on many unexpected journeys in my own life, wondering where is God, Feeling this sense of, man, my life was never supposed to be this way. But friends, my encouragement to you this morning is to choose to trust that you're only holding a piece of the puzzle. Choose to hope that God can and will indeed work good. 
In the weeks ahead, we're going to be looking at the ways that Joseph walked through this unexpected journey in his life. Uh, the, the title of our sermon series is, is Found Faithful. I think that's something remarkable about, about Joseph. So this morning we looked at the perspective we can have in the midst of this. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to watch Joseph as he navigates these difficult situations. And learn from him how might we navigate some of these difficult situations. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the story of Joseph. We thank you for all that it has to teach us. And just that sliver that we looked at this morning. Lord, in reading his story and wondering what about his dreams? What about him coming to this place of influence? But Lord, knowing in the context of the whole that it's only a piece of the puzzle. And Lord, many of us this morning are, are, are here holding in our hands a piece of the puzzle of our lives. And it's a piece that we feel is so unexpected. And we wonder why we have to hold it. We wonder why this is part of our lives. So I pray, Father God, that you would just bless each one of us with the grace to trust that you are a God who can work good. Lord, and that you are a God who will work good. Help us to trust in the midst of our unexpected journeys in life. In Jesus' name, amen.